What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm UB, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group. And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Choose Inclusion. I am here with my co-hosts, the wonderful UB and Mike. How are you guys doing? Feeling, uh, I'm feeling pretty dang good this morning uh, or afternoon, wherever you may be. Um, <laughs> Nina Ubaldo, how are you doing, buddy? Good, you know. Um, yeah, excited, excited to be here. Um, a lot of stuff going on in the world, but it's always nice when we can, you know, sit and, and have these really powerful and all, you know, um, what's the attitude, pers- you know, attitude lifting conversation. So I'm excited for today. Yeah, me too. Um, we're going to be talking about something. I think whenever like we have conversations around technology and human to human interactions, I get super geeked out and excited about it. Um, and we're going to be touching on that as part of a larger conversation about the LGBTQ community and what it means to be inclusive of that community. So Today, I want to welcome our guest, Elena Joy Thurston. Uh, she's the executive director of the Pride and Joy Foundation and is the queen of being the bridge between straight families and queer families. So uh, welcome, Elena, to the podcast. Thank you. I, I'm pretty sure my, my moniker now is your highness, since I am the queen. <laughs> yeah. So Love we it. always start our podcast off with a with the check-in on uh, how are you doing? I am doing great. I am super excited because our leadership team thought up an idea two weeks ago, and now it has grown bigger and better than we ever imagined. So I feel like that in and of itself is hopeful. And I feel like that's in high demand right now, having incredible hope for humanity. So that I'm feeling inspired and really happy about that. I, I'm excited to hear about uh, the event coming up, Elena Joy, but could you please, uh, you know, talk to us a little bit about your journey because uh, your TEDx talk. So you Baldo, once again, uh, because of the amazing Nina, but once again, like we have, you know, multiple TEDx speakers on our podcast and uh, Elena Joy, like I, I really loved the story um, of, of, of your life and how vulnerable you were on your TEDx talk and yet how powerful of a message it was. So could you start with kind of like your just a little bit of your story. And, and then I'd love to go into this amazing event you have coming up. Yeah. So I'll summarize because it's a big story. So if you guys have any questions, I'm happy to delve in, but yeah, the story starts like almost every American. I grew up in a really crazy, chaotic, dysfunctional family. And by the time I was 16, I was really searching for answers. I was searching for stability, right? I was searching for Um, a way to know that I was a good person and that I was going to be a good person as an adult. And I found a church and they welcomed me with open arms and it was exactly what I needed. It really was. And 
by the time I was 20, I had graduated from college and I was married. I, you know, it was really, that's how you progressed in the religion. And I was all about progressing was the next step was for me to get married and start my family and learn more about how to be like God, basically. And so by the time I was 32, I'd had four kids. <laughs> I think back on that and I'm like, that's crazy. Like some people haven't even started their families at 32, but I was like in the thick of it. And by the time I was 37, my youngest one went off to school and there are a lot of scary thoughts in my head. Thoughts like, you don't actually like your life, Elena. Like, this isn't actually fulfilling to you. And I had always been able to shut that up because I had four kids, right? Like, it's real hard to even catch a breath <laughs> when you're trying to raise all of them, let alone think about what you're thinking about. So I started doing these hobbies right like every woman in my community when their last kid went off to school they joined a gym you right like you got your body back and it turned out I really loved it because not only did it shut off the thoughts when I was like trying to breathe while I was weightlifting but it was also like really great because I could track I could see my progress I could see my strength getting increasing and I could see my body weight going down and I just thought Oh yeah, okay. So if anyone's strong enough, you can get your body to do anything. And that turned out to be kind of a scary thought. Um, and so I still had a little too much time on my hands. I started long distance running and it was kind of the same concept. Like if my mental game is strong enough, I can overcome my body. I can force it to do whatever I want it to do. That's the game. And I just really fell into that hook, line, and sinker. And I started yet another hobby to distract myself, but that was fly fishing, as odd as that might sound. And that became pivotal. I had not discovered yoga or meditation yet, but when I was fly fishing, you're standing in a river. It's beautiful, of course. And you have to be really present. Like you have to be so focused. You can't be distracted and thinking about, did you say your family prayers that morning? Did you read your scriptures? Like you just have to be there in your body if you're gonna be successful at all. And of course I wanted to be successful. And so for the first time in my adult life, I was doing something where I wasn't trying to push my body or overcome my body or, or manhandle it with the strength of my brain right like I just was there and it was safe and I realized I really liked it and that became kind of the open door for me reconnecting with my body again and realizing oh crap my body's trying to tell me something and has been for a really long time and I've just been trying to shut it down and so when I was 37, I realized I was head over heels in love with my best friend. And I was not attracted to my husband of 17 years at all. And that crushed me for so many reasons. But obviously the big ones was that my marriage was at stake. My position in my faith community was at stake. But also like my relationship with God was at stake. I was... 
I had been taught and I fully believed that if I acted on this attraction, if I let my body become stronger than my willpower, then I was going to hell. So I started the repentance process and I started to, to try to fix it, to look for a way to fix it, right? To look for a way for my brain to become stronger and, and, and overcome this worldly thing that was my body and that was threatening to ruin not only my life, but also my salvation. And so when a friend said, hey, there's a guy in town, he fixes things like this, you should go see him. Like I jumped right in both feet and for him to tell me, yeah, I've been doing this for 40 years. It'll take a month or two if you work really hard. We can we can fix you, no problem. And I did not Google it. I didn't like run his name. I didn't look like, oh, okay, so a therapist can fix you and make you straight again. I wonder where the best school is that they can go to learn that technique, right? Because if I had done any of that, it would have become very clear early on this is called conversion therapy. This is very dangerous for anyone who goes through it. Like that's been proven time and time again, but I was desperate and I was frantic and I was not thinking clearly. And I think that's very indicative of anyone in that situation. You know, I'm college educated. My husband has a master's. My bishop, my religious leader was involved. He had his master's. We were all educated people. And we had no idea how dangerous this was going to be. And of course, the practitioner didn't, didn't let us know that either. Um, and I went for six months. It was four days a week, two hours a day, at a cost of $270 a day. And we paid it. We paid it willingly. But I will never forget that there was one day he often asked me to... to he forgot to ask me to pay at the end, right? And so oftentimes I'd have to remind him and I'd have to pay for two or three visits all at once. And he was making the comment, yeah, I keep forgetting to ask you because you're the only one that pays me directly. Everyone else, their bishop pays for them. So when churches tell me, yo, we don't support conversion therapy and they issue all these statements, it's just like, it's just shocking to realize like how far the deceit goes and to realize that like all the members of that congregation that were tithing money, none of them knew what it was paying for, that it was paying for a practice that 57% of people who go through it end up suicidal. There's a 2020 study out now that says if you've gone through it, you'll struggle with suicidal ideations for the rest of your life and 92% of that, of lifetime suicidal ideation. Like it's just, it's just crazy. But anyway, so to just wrap up that story, I had an incredible, I did become suicidal. I did get incredible help on the very day that I needed it, like legit help. <laughs> and I was issued anti-anxiety meds for the first time ever. You should have seen her face when she was like, so what have you been on so far? And I'm like, nothing. And she's like, you're 37. <laughs> I haven't been on anything because in my head it was if you're feeling anxious you better pray if you're feeling depressed you better read your scriptures you better be going to the temple you better be serving others like you must be being selfish if you're feeling those feelings because that means you're not serving others enough or you've done something 
and the guilt is too much. And that's why you're feeling anxiety or depression. So anyway, I got incredible help and I was issued the meds and I was able to sleep for the first time in a really long time. And when I woke up, I was able to connect some dots. I was able to do some research. I was able to realize that the logic they had told me of why it would work was not logical. And that the reason I had become suicidal was because I thought I was too broken. I couldn't be fixed. He told me it would only take two months. And there I was at six months and I still wasn't fixed. And God must not want me. That's why God isn't answering this prayer. And to finally realize I can't be fixed. God made me exactly the way I was supposed to be made. There's nothing to fix. And the sooner that I could grasp that idea, the sooner I realized it's better for my kids to have a gay mom than a dead mom, I'm staying. And if that means I lose everyone in my life and my photography studio that I had built for 10 years, but 80% of my clients were from this faith community. And yes, I did lose it within the week of coming out. It was still worth it because I'm here, I'm here. And I realized finally when my eyes opened that there was an entire community of people that were struggling to stay here, specifically LGBTQ kids were really struggling to stay here. And here I am a mom of four kids and I know what that pit looks like. I know what that pit feels like. And it was unconscionable to me that another person's child could be in that pit. So that's when we started work. We just, I just went right to work. I did the TED talk and then my whole world opened up and I was doing talks all over the country, talking to college students, talking to organizations everywhere. And then COVID hit and the world shut down as everyone knows. And I couldn't make it to those colleges. But what started happening by April was that my inbox was flooded with these college kids who one week they were in school and they had just come out, right? They were in college and away from their families for the first time. They had just come out and the next week they were sent home. And sometimes those parents knew and sometimes they didn't. And sometimes those parents were supportive, but sometimes they weren't. And not only that, but you had kids that felt like, I'm just, I was just free for the first time to explore who I really am. And now it's all shut down. There's no gay coffee houses to go to. There's no gay spoken word nights. There's no pride parades. There's no pride festivals. Like it was like they came out into a void and there was no one there to receive them and say, welcome to the community. And we love you the way you are. And here's your people, right? There was, there was no way to do that. And so that's when the Pride and Joy Foundation started. And this whole crazy roller coaster just kept going. <laughs> so that's it in like a really slim nutshell. <laughs> I hope that answered some questions. That, yeah, that, I mean, that's just so powerful. I think we're all just kind of sitting and realizing how powerful a story that is because it's a, it's the powerful story of how many people, right? And yes being able to hear, hear it out loud, I think is part of, is, is a big part of helping people 
start yeah. down the path that you were able to find and, and to make it to this point. So I think that's just amazing. And um, I, th- I think it's a great segue into this event that mm-hmm. you're putting on in May. I think it, to yeah. me, it sounds like a kind of a first of its kind. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about, about that and, and the purpose behind it? Absolutely. So the Pride and Joy Foundation's mission is to reduce the rate of suicide and homelessness in the LGBTQ community. And a huge way we can do that is by bringing together all the stakeholders, right? You have not only LGBTQ people, but you have their parents, you have their bosses at work, and you have the influencers that are in their social media sphere that are really uh, normalizing their experience. And so we decided one of the best ways we could serve this community is by bringing them all together for a weekend. And I thought, you know, this has been on my radar a long time, but with COVID, there's no way to do this. I didn't want to do it virtually because I just felt like, really, does anyone want to stay on Zoom for a whole weekend? Like, give me a break, right? But then all these big pieces started to fall into place, one of which was yeah, we do want to include the influencers. We do want to include the content creators because we have this whole section of people that pay their bills basically based on their sexuality, right? When someone says, what do you do? I run a podcast. What's the podcast about? And in that moment, you're deciding, okay, can I be real? Is it safe? Is it safe to come out to this person? And so that intersection of like your income and your sexuality it's, it's just a fascinating place to be, but it's also a really incredible free place to be because now we have people realizing they don't need to conform to corporate America. You know, we had youth that were really struggling to get jobs because they were interviewing over Zoom and they might be male presenting with a beard and wearing makeup. And if that's the first thing the interviewer sees, yeah, no, they are not interested, right? No matter what else is on that person's resume. And so we wanted to provide a way, like come to this day, learn from the biggest and baddest influencers, LGBTQ influencers, learn if they were starting all over again, how would they start, right? Because technology like rapidly changes. But these are the people that have been doing it for like a decade, right? So they know how to pivot, they know all of it. So that's where we want to expose these kids to. As well as we have quite a few late in lifers is what we call them. The people who come out in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s even. And they realize, okay, I've been working in this one industry forever. And I know all of this information and I want to give it back to my LGBTQ community that I just joined, right? So those are also people who are wanting to start podcasts or start YouTube channels. And we want to give them the tools and skills to do that as well, because that is where our community finds each other, quite frankly. Like it used to be in the bars and the gay bars and the lesbian bars. And those are one closed due to COVID. But also there's only 15 lesbian bars in the United States left, you guys. Like there's we have got to find a way to connect and find each other that's not based on physical locations. I mean, obviously, COVID has shown us that. So sorry, I'm rambling a lot, but. Yeah, so then the next day, oh, so we realized we have influencers and they have the audience that we would want to market to. So our entire marketing strategy got incredibly simplified just by saying, okay, influencers that are coming or presenting, we're going to give you an affiliate code so that you get a kickback every time you sell a ticket. And that way 
you are promoting the family day to your entire audience and you're earning money from it. Cause that was a big thing. We really don't want people working for free. I mean, you and I both know that's total BS. Like if you have developed your expertise, if you have developed your platform, you should be compensated for that. And so, and that ties into the homelessness, right? Like the more we teach our LGBTQ community that their expertise is valued and that they shouldn't be working for free in ERG groups, that that is a part of their career and avoiding homelessness as well. So our next day is the family day. It's incredible. We have four different tracks. We have coming out early in life, which is geared for our 17 to 25 year olds. And so that's all about finding safety in the LGBTQ relationships and starting community efforts and all kinds of incredible stuff. Also a, a money coach for these young kids. LGBTQ people actually carry a disproportionate amount of debt for a variety of reasons. So we have all these great coaches. So that's the coming out early track. We have the gender identity track. It's actually run by Dean. He's incredible. He's a trans man in Canada who has nine children, <laughs> two of which are also trans. So they have just the most amazing leadership right there in the gender identity track, as well as we have a queer adulting track, which is going to be all about everything from online dating to planning your dream queer wedding to planning your family. Are you, do you want to adopt? Do you want to do IVF? Like, what do you want to do? Surrogacy, like the whole thing. And then also being safe at work. We're going to have an entire section all about uh, helping to create inclusion at work, but also knowing what your red flags are, knowing what your rights are, especially with the recent SCOTUS ruling from last summer. And then our last one is the parents and community leaders. So we have an entire track on family day that's gonna be dedicated to being a parent and being an ally, being a soccer coach, and being an ally, being a religious leader and being an ally, right? So we're inviting all of those people to join us and have a really safe space to ask all the questions they need to ask and walk away with like a really solid base of empowerment, of, of knowledge, so that they can go back to their communities and be the leaders they need to be for that, for the allies and for the LGBTQ people. Whew, there you go. <laughs> Well, I, one of the things that I would love for you to touch on is the, the technology you'll be using to, to build yes. this because it's, it's really cool. And uh, yeah. I would love for you to share that with the audience. Thank you so much. Yes, that was another puzzle piece that came together in the first week that we were planning this because like I said earlier, like we don't want to be on Zoom all weekend. So the, within 24 hours of me having that thought, I met um, one of the founders of a startup called Bramble the B and they built a custom world for us for this summit. So if you imagine if Zoom and Among Us met at a sex party and had a baby, <laughs> that's what this, that's what nice. this is about, right? <laughs> so you click on a link and you spawn in a world and it's our, our world is called Planet Pride because of course, and it's an alien world. And so the avatar that you can pick from, they're all alien bodies. There's no human bodies, which in our scenario, that's just amazing and incredible. And then you can also fill out your profile. So you, you can put your real picture if you want, or it can be a picture of anything else. And then you can put your bio. This is what I do. This is who I am, right? And then you can fill out all of your social feeds as well, if you want. 
And so as I'm walking around this world, if, if anyone sees me, they want to know more about me before they approach me, they can click on my avatar and they'll get all this information. Can you imagine like back when we were in the bars, if you could have spied someone from across the room and been like, hey, I wonder what his Instagram profile looks like. <laughs> like Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? That'd be incredible. So, yeah. So you'll be able to walk around this whole world and there are performance spaces that when you walk into your mic and your audio or your mic and your video are instantly shut down. So the only people that are on the screen or on your audio feed are the people on the stage in the spotlight. So that's awesome because then you don't have any of that, like turn your mic off, right? Like that we all go through during Zoom meetings. But then when you're in the mingle areas is what we call them. We have two different lounges as well as a library. And those um, are actually named after the sponsors that are sponsoring the event. And so in those areas, as you walk around those areas, you might approach a group of people and their audio and their video will come up on your screen and you can stay there and you can chat with them or you can decide I'm gonna keep walking. And as you keep walking, they kind of fade away. And so it becomes this incredibly interactive experience to the point that even our presenters can say, okay, we want you to get into groups of five and have a conversation about this. So is it a breakout room? No, it's way cooler than that because you literally just move your avatar around the room and get to a point where there's just five of you in a group. And then that's all that's on your screen up until the admin puts someone into the spotlight and then that's who's on the screen. So, and what I really like is that they have thought about some accessibility. And so they have it so that once a person spawns into the, into the room, into the planet, they can, with one click of a button, they can join another person or join a group of other people and then be navigated around the world with that group. And so if you have anyone that struggles with the arrow keys or anything on, on their computer, once they spawn in, they can join someone else and then they can explore the space with them. So I was really appreciative that they put in that accessibility as well. Yeah, it's gonna be cool. That is so cool. <laughs> I'm just I like mean, it really out is. on this right now. It's like Zoom <laughs> meets Among Us meets Clubhouse. Yeah. You're leveraging Twitch. Second you're leveraging Life, remember YouTube, Second Life. You're leveraging TikTok. You're leveraging all the technology that people are using today to, to connect with one another and all in one and all in a really powerful, meaningful way. I'm, I'm just excited about this, Alina. Ah, thank you. Me too. I've, I haven't slept in two weeks. I'm just so excited. <laughs> So Elena, Elena Joy, so love the event, love everything you're doing. Uh, let's think post-pandemic real quick. I'd love to get, you know, how, how do our listeners, how, how do you connect up, like, you know, what you're aiming to do, um, you know, the impact that you want to make, uh, leave us on this, like, you know, your, your crystal ball po post-pandemic environment where the Pride and Joy Foundation is out there and it's it's making its difference and it's making its difference how and how do our listeners get a hold of you so they can be part of that difference yeah so we go for our mission decreasing the rate of suicide and homelessness in the lgbtq community we do that in four ways and we really feel like pretty much everyone out there will be excited to interact in one of those four ways at least so first of all, we have an online support group and the magic that's happening there because we're bringing together multiple different groups. So let me give you an example. We have 
a straight mom might post on there, okay, my son just came out as gay and I have not had the sex talk with him and I don't know how to do this. I was never prepared for this. And then we can have a gay male couple come in and say, hey, we got you. We can help you with that. But our baby that we just adopted has a horrible bum rash. and We have no idea what to do about this. And that mom could be like, oh, I, I've got that. <laughs> like, I can help you with that, right? And then we have the third group, which is like grandparents and aunts and uncles and teachers that have someone in their life that's come out and they're really trying to learn how to be the best ally possible for them. And so then the other two groups help out that third group, right? So the, there's great magic and that's happening in our Pride and Joy community uh, group. Um, so that's one way. The second way is that we do suicide prevention workshops for college age kids college age LGBTQ kids. We know that there are suicide hotlines out there, but we really feel like they're the last line of defense, not the first. LGBTQ kids, like all kids, are gonna talk to their peers about what they're struggling about before they talk to a stranger. And so we are equipping those peers with just the basic skills of crisis intervention. It's a lot like CPR training. We don't expect them to walk away from an hour and a half long workshop as mental health professionals. <laughs> Just like we don't expect someone who knows CPR to be a surgeon, right? So we're just giving them the basics, but they are able to really confidently navigate that after that workshop, which has been incredible. And so we have volunteers that either help with those or provide the donations because we specifically offer them to colleges and schools that are in underserved areas. The large universities, they've got plenty of a budget to do that kind of stuff. Their LGBTQ resource centers are huge and they've got all kinds of programs, but it's your smaller schools where their LGBTQ resource center is like one part-time staff member. Yeah, that's where we're going in and doing these workshops because we feel like that's the greatest impact we can have. And then the third way that we do this is we do create in LGBTQ inclusion workshops at companies and that has been so powerful. And that is one of the first ways that we started because I was thinking back to my husband had been a rising star in a public accounting firm. And like he was a partner before he was 40, like he was tagged, right? And so he went to a lot of different HR trainings. And I always knew because he'd walk in that night and he'd be like, I'd really appreciate some feedback on my performance as a husband and a dad. <laughs> be like oh you went to HR today didn't you <laughs> or he'd be like I'd like to try my active listening skills during bedtime tonight with the kids <laughs> and it was really great our family really benefited from that and when we were going through our divorce and trying to navigate things I had really wished that both of us had some background in the verbiage and the thought process behind sexual orientation because neither of us did. We really lived life in a bubble. And so now we realize that's something we can bring to families by going through their places of employment. So they're financially motivated to keep their hearts and minds open. We're able to do a training. We increase inclusiveness at work, which is awesome. Again, it's reducing that rate of suicide and homelessness, but then they're able to go home that night, have a conversation with their teenager at the dinner table and say, you know, I learned about non-binary today. Do you have any non-binary friends? And a whole conversation takes place because of that training that day that would have never taken place otherwise. 
because mom and dad were in a safe situation where they were motivated to learn, listen, and grow. So yeah, so those are how we do it. And then the summit is our fourth one. So where I see this going post-pandemic, the more we empower and educate parents, managers, community leaders, the more I, I really truly feel that most Americans are not trying to be hurtful to LGBTQ kids, really. I just think that they're not exposed and they're not educated. And so as we can change that and do that through a lack of judgment, right? The minute someone feels like you're judging them, they're back on their heels and they're defensive and they're not gonna learn and their minds are not open. But if you can create an atmosphere like the summit, like the trainings at work, where they're not being judged and they can just ask questions and they can just learn, I think that's what's really gonna turn the tide and really gonna help society move forward with inclusion. Yeah, I think that's just a wonderful roadmap that organizations can follow, right? Like it's it's yeah. one, it's about creating that space and two, about giving everybody an opportunity to learn more about, yeah, to your point, like most people don't know. And that's that's the fear, that's the problem. That's what drives the, the current behaviors. So let's learn, let's let's teach each other. So that it's wonderful. Um, Love it. Can't thank you enough. Elena, yeah, and you know, thanks to Mike for for introducing you to us on the show, and um, we're excited. You know, let us know how else we can help. You know, to get the word out on the summit, and um, it's just just really cool everything that you're doing. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We're really excited, and we're changing lives. Like, how often do you get to say that about your work? That you're changing lives. Like, that's really fun. Well, with uh, that's that's kind of uh, why Nina and, and Ubaldo and I like the, just choose inclusion. Like, it's um, we we want to bring a space, uh, you know, to amplify, to to augment, to um, enhance, like whatever we can do uh, to to uh, to help leaders like you um, just do more. That's 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 kind of our jam. So uh, love it. Thank you so much, Elena. Uh, just uh, again for our listeners please go l- listen to her podcast or her podcast her TEDx mm-hmm. talk it's absolutely amazing and uh, thank you for joining us today thank you thank you for developing this platform and thank you for passing the mic it means a lot to us thank you uh, to our audience uh, chooseinclusion.com yeah. as usual to catch more of our episodes and we will uh, catch you all next time take care everyone thanks Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, and contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.